Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. There's Shark Week, uh, my gal. Uh, the English are coming. Uh, there's communists in the funhouse. I think those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. My name is Dr. Jen Gunter, and I'm an OBGYN and pain medicine specialist. I work as a physician, and I'm also an author and a health communicator. My latest book is called Blood, The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation. I think using euphemisms depends on context. So I think if you feel you have to use it because you're told you can't talk about your body, well, we need to change that. But if you're having fun with your friends, go for it. Why is it so challenging to talk about menstruation? I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, one, we've been told since the beginning of time it's shameful and people don't want to talk about shameful things, right? Or people feel embarrassed to say the word and so they just don't talk about it. They don't hear anybody else talking about it, so you think it's taboo. You, you, it's something you're not allowed to talk about. And finally, people don't know much if they know anything about the biology. So I think a lot of people are embarrassed because they think they should know, though, and they don't even know the questions they should ask. So I think there's several reasons. Explaining why we menstruate is a pretty complex biological phenomenon, but let, let me see if I can distill it down. So it really is part of resource curation in pregnancy. So during the menstrual cycle, we develop a very thick uterine lining, and this is for a couple of reasons. It's a special lining called the decidua. And think of it like a catcher's mitt in a way for an embryo. When an embryo, a human embryo, meets decidua, what it wants to do is bury straight down. The embryo wants to get to maternal blood vessels because it wants that oxygen. It's very invasive. So we need a very thick lining to deal with that invasiveness. In addition, there's all kinds of immunological signals and triggering that's going on. And this decidua, the specialized tissue, is dealing with that. The decidua also can sense if embryos are really abnormal and actually trigger a miscarriage very early on. That's one of the reasons you might have heard that about 70% of early pregnancies end in miscarriage. That's part of the decidua, trying to make sure that the pregnancies that do happen are the healthiest possible because it's a massive biological investment to be pregnant. So you've got this really thick specialized decidua, which is the lining of the uterus that's been converted by exposure to the hormone progesterone. You don't get pregnant, so now what? You have this thick specialized tissue and you have to get rid of it. It can't be absorbed because we don't have a mechanism to digest it. So the only way to get rid of it is to dump it and then start the cycle again. Some people think that, you know, because it's bodily fluid leaving your body, it's gross. And, you know, some people might think about that as same as urine or feces or saliva or nasal secretions, right? So it isn't any grosser than those. And so I think that for centuries, we've had this special idea that menstrual fluid is some kind of like toxy, witchy, poisonous brew, like really specially poisonous. I mean, people used to think that menstruating women were vampires. They used to think that menstruation had some involvement with rabies. They used to think that 
that when women were menstruating, they would poison food. They, you know, so nobody, everybody urinates, but nobody thinks people who have a full bladder are going to poison food. So menstruations had this really sort of super nasty, toxic, witchy phenomenon associated with it. So I'm often asked if people in proximity will sync their menstrual cycles. And the answer is no. That is a very common myth that people believe if you're in dorm or you work with a bunch of other women, that all your menstrual cycles are going to get in sync and you're going to have this sort of like menstrual gal pal sort of thing. Uh, and it's not true. It's uh, based in mythology. There is no science to back it up. There is no biological mechanism by which that could happen. This always gets people a bit worked up, but there are no pheromones involved. In fact, no one has ever proved that humans have pheromones. I know that the uh, the whole sort of perfume industry would like you to think otherwise. Uh, we also don't have the organ to detect, a functioning organ to detect pheromones. So your menstrual cycle is related to everything that's happening in your own biology. Um, and this whole idea of cycle syncing has been disproven by science. And there's no biological way it could happen either. Menstruation, is it tied to the cycle of the moon? And the answer is no. If it were, we'd all menstruate at the same time, just like the tides, you know, happen at the same time, right? So, so no, it's not tied to the moon. The idea, I think, came about because there's a lot of similar language. And this whole idea about um, the menstrual cycle being monthly uh, was tied to the idea that the moon waxes and wanes in a monthly cycle as well, right? Because month comes from the same, uh, you know, the same uh, uh, sort of language as menstruation does. It's from mens as month or monthlies, right? So, but that doesn't mean that the ancient people who noticed this connection between the menstruation and the sort of the monthly waxing and waning of the moon, they didn't think the moon was dragging you into menstruation. They said, wow. This is something that comes in a cycle, like the moon comes in a cycle. So it's a reflection of the cycle, not of the moon dragging you into menstruation. I'm often asked if people need to take a break from hormonal contraception, and the answer is no, unless you want to get pregnant. Um, but there's no medical reason that you need to stop. There isn't any blood that's building up, any lining of the uterus that's getting super thick and needs to come out. Uh, if you need contraception, you need it. Also, it's very important to mention that many people use hormonal contraception not for contraception, but to control heavy bleeding, to control period pain, or because they just don't want to have a period. And so all of these are very valid and important reasons. So this has been on TikTok and a few other places, I suppose, that menstrual blood has anti-aging properties. And I mean, no. I mean, if it did, our vaginas would never age, right? Like, you know, because they would be bathed in special anti-aging serum, uh, you know, once a cycle. So this is sort of t both sort of plays into the idea that menstrual blood is sort of special and witchy and, you know, you know it, well, some people use it to sort of tell people, oh, your blood is toxic and other people say, oh, it's sort of magical. It's true there are stem cells in the, the endometrium, the decidua that comes out. And it is also true that the uterus with menstruation is the only time in the human body where scarless healing happens. That's pretty fascinating, right? Like if you cut yourself somewhere else, there'll always be under the microscope a sign that there was an injury, but it's completely scarless healing. So yes, there are stem cells and all kinds of cool sort of regenerative things happening that it, we don't quite understand. And if we could understand it, I think we could really apply that technology probably in a lot of incredibly fascinating ways for human health. However, 
all of that happens because, you know, when you study something in a lab, you do all kinds of things to it to, to make it work in different ways. So just taking, you know, menstrual blood and putting it on something isn't going to slow any kind of aging down. And also that's ageist. I hate anti-aging, right? We see that all the time on TikTok and, and Instagram and you need to worry you know, anti-aging stuff. So, so yeah, no, menstrual blood is menstrual blood. It's super cool. The fact that it's scarless healing, super cool, uh, but that's it. So this has almost become gospel, the idea that natural menstrual products are better for you. And I'm going to say natural, uh, because natural doesn't mean anything. I could call something natural. I could make a birth control pill and call it natural. I could tell you that the hormones were made from soybeans, which they are, and then I could tell you it's natural. So yeah, no, there's no studies that tell us that products that advertise themselves as natural or organic are better. And in fact, sometimes these products don't perform as well. So, and I'm not saying you should be scared about them, but there is absolutely no medical reason that you should be spending your money on products that advertise themselves as natural or organic. You know what's natural? To bleed all over yourself. So yeah, no, natural is a marketing term and avoid people that use it. Thinking about menstrual education kind of in days gone by versus now, I am sad to say that I don't think it's really improved that much. I mean, I think there are probably still schools where, you know, if they teach anything, people are segregated. Uh, you know, to have the boys and the girls learn different things, even though everybody benefits from the menstrual cycle. And that, you know, perpetuates also the idea this is shameful or something you can't, like, discuss with everybody, right, if you have to segregate people to talk about it. Uh, You know, some schools, you know, do some sex ed discussion, but almost always that's kind of the whole putting a condom on a banana thing. It's a very cursory discussion about not getting pregnant, not about any of the mechanics involved with sex or how the body works biologically. So, you know, I've yet to really speak to someone who has, you know, graduated school with a really robust knowledge about the menstrual cycle, which is, of course, you know, why I wrote the book Blood. Well, I talk a lot about influencers because they influence people and they are having a negative effect on a lot of people. When I think about the menstrual disinformation that I see on social media, it's it's really enraging. Um, and I see it from, you know, people with no education to people who are masquerading like they have some kind of knowledge and to people who are actually physicians. A while back, I saw a physician saying that if you, uh, if your period lasts more than one day, there's something wrong with you. And of course, you know, whatever, buy my supplements, come do my special hormone testing, right? Which is, you know, it's normal to bleed up to seven days. So, you know, that's somebody who's promoting disinformation. There's almost always a sell job behind it. So people are trying to sell supplements or sell expensive testing that then they have to interpret for you or a special diet related to the menstrual cycle. And a lot of this is really, um, you know, very insidious and maybe not easy to see. Some of it's an outright ad. So you see sort of everything in between. I see people afraid to use menstrual products. Somebody showed me a video on TikTok the other day with this woman claiming that if you use menstrual products, it will make your periods heavier and give you more cramps. So so what the alternative is then for women to take to their beds for four days, five days a month, like that's, that's the kind of thinking from the 1500s. And so people need to be very careful because a lot of this menstrual misinformation and disinformation is very much attached to old predatory ideas about women not leaving the house. So I, the best quote on people saying, well, you know, alternative medicine has its place because there's gaps in medicine. I would say Dr. Ben Goldacre has this fantastic saying that I am going to paraphrase. Uh, 
If there is a problem with the airline industry, the answer is not to invest in magic carpets. People deserve science-backed healthcare. Alternative medicine is things that haven't been tested. Should you go in an airplane that hasn't been tested? Should you drive a car that hasn't been tested? Many of these things, we have no idea what they could do to your body. Supplements are completely unregulated. I know people in Canada think, oh, Health Canada looks at these. No, they don't. They just take whatever the supplement company says is in them. Um, there have been many cases of supplements being, uh, you know, having lead and other problems identified here and products bought off the shelf in Canada. So um, the answer to gaps in medicine is not to exploit them with pseudoscience. The answer to the gaps in medicine is to appropriately fund the healthcare system, to appropriately fund research, to demand that we study things that affect women's bodies on par with things that affect men's, men's bodies. The, the answer is not to move away from the scientific method and the fact that there are people exploiting these very real gaps. I mean, having eight minutes or 12 minutes with a doctor is not fair and it is wrong, but the answer to that isn't somebody selling you garbage on TikTok. So we've heard a lot of discussions about period poverty and period poverty is basically the concept that some people can't afford the products they need to control their menstrual cycle. So it's not bleeding on, so they're not bleeding onto their clothes or onto their bed linens. And period poverty keeps women in the house. It stops people from going to school. It can even affect people's work. And it's awful to not have enough menstrual products. And this is something that is not new. Um, you know, for centuries, women have had to do what they could to manage. Not everybody could afford to have extra garments to wear. Not every, and, and so the only option was basically to leak on your clothes or to not go out, right? So, and obviously they didn't have modern absorbent technology back in the day either, so there's that. So it's very important that we have equal access to menstrual products because it is completely unfair that someone should have to miss days of school, should have to miss days of employment because they can't afford period products. And every single person benefits from the menstrual cycle. We are all here because of the menstrual cycle. So why are we making half the population pay for it? We don't have any issues with toilet paper being free in bathrooms. We don't have any issues with uh, going into bathrooms and there being um, soap for us to wash our hands. So if we don't have issues with that, why should we have issues with period products being made available? And one thing that's even especially egregious is in many parts of the world, menstrual products are taxed. And they're not just taxed, they're taxed as a luxury item, right? Which is an absolute joke. Not bleeding onto your clothes isn't a luxury, that's a human right. I want everybody in Canada to think about what it's like to live in some communities where it's much more expensive to buy these products. What about people who live remotely in rural communities or up north? How much more expensive these products might be? Might be two, three, four times what you're gonna pay in a large metropolitan area. So we need to think about ways where, I mean, I think all the products should be free, but until we get to that point, I absolutely believe that menstrual products should be price controlled, that they should cost the same wherever you live in the country. It, whether you live in Yellowknife, whether you live in Churchill, Manitoba, or whether you live in downtown Toronto, it should be the same price that's affordable for everybody. And this is something I, I think all Canadians should be able to get behind. So why did I include a chapter on abortion in a book about menstruation? It's a great question. So 
in the olden days, we used to call abortion menstrual regulation. That was the euphemism we used for it to get around laws and, you know, people would come in and have their periods regulated. Uh, or people who had money who could find a safe provider would do that. I think it's really important that people get accurate, factual information about abortion early because there are so many forces that are trying to give people disinformation about abortion. And you never know when you might need an abortion. You never know when you might want an abortion. And so if people learn about that early on, then they can be prepared if that happens to them. And I want everybody to understand the massive impact and inequity of a legal abortion. And so I talk in the book about, you know, maternal mortality in countries where abortion is illegal. And for example, you know, what happens when it becomes legal and how maternal mortality just plummets. The case is clear, the evidence-based, science-backed case is clear that abortion saves lives. So it's very important also from an autonomy standpoint that people have choice about their bodies. So I wanted people to have factual information from a trusted source. We've had a lot of struggles in the United States with abortion legislation. There are many states where it's now illegal and Roe versus Wade was overturned, so there's no federal protection and, you know, no federal protection for the right to choose. And I would say that we already know what's happening because of that. We are seeing um, increases in maternal mortality, increases in bad outcomes. I mean, this is no surprise because we know that legal abortion is the right thing for societies. It tells me that people who are happy about Roe versus Wade being overturned, it tells me that they care more about a fetus then they care about the person carrying the fetus. So that can't be a pro-life position because it means they don't care about the life of the person who is pregnant. It's a forced birth position and we need to call them out for what it is. They wanna force people to give birth. That's a way to force people to stay into poverty. It's a way to force people to not be able to live to their full potential. It's a weapon of control. When people are forced into poverty, that might affect their ability to vote. It might affect their ability to, to, to do so many things that are important for their own happiness and for their contribution to society. And the fact that, that we are basically moving backwards is a very, very, very alarming thing. And we are seeing very real repercussions of this. We're seeing people who have had serious medical complications in pregnancy having to fly to different parts of the country to get a life-saving abortion. And we're only hearing about you know, the few that are able to do that. There might be many doing it who don't talk about it. We've heard about young children having to go to a different state to get an abortion because they were raped often you know, by a caretaker or a family member. The idea that an 11-year-old should be forced to carry a pregnancy because of some politician's political desires, I think people need to understand that politicians get behind forced birth agendas because it's a good way to fundraise and it's a good way to get attention and it's a good way to get elected. It's not a good thing for the electorate. So I hear about a lot of people using menstrual tracking apps, and uh, there's a lot of concerns there. So especially in places if you live somewhere where abortion is illegal, you should never assume that the data you're using in those apps, except for a few that I mentioned in the book, which are downloaded to your phone and don't live on the cloud, your data is being sold. 
it's being sold. That's why, you know, when you talk about a dress and then two minutes later you see that, like something from that designer on Instagram. I mean, it's not just that, that your phone is listening, but many apps sell your data, right? To data brokers. And then it's the data brokers who sell that data to the companies that design the ads so they can pick things up and your feed gets filled with those ads. And, you know, that's scary enough, but if you're a district attorney and you live somewhere where you want to prosecute someone for having an abortion, you know, for $100, you can buy all the metadata of people who went to a specific Planned Parenthood in a week or so. It's cheap information to buy. So there's that very real safety concern is what's happening to your data. Also, even if you live somewhere like Canada where there's no abortion law, do you really want people being able to access your data? I mean, could an employer for $100 buy data to find out if people are maybe newly pregnant and then ex- exclude them from job interviews, that's a possibility, right? There's all kinds of ways your personal data can be abused, right? So first of all, there's that. Then there's the issue that does tracking even do anything for you? So tracking is the idea that if you record when your period is, you're then you're going to know when your next one is and your next one. And people who promote trackers, and a lot of times this is also from naturopaths and chiropractors who tell you need to be more in tune with your body. You know, they want you to track so they can sell you a supplement or sell you a product. So because if your period is off, then they have an answer to that. Well, there's a really interesting study that looked at at one of these apps. And the thing is, is these apps that predict when your next period is going to be, they're all proprietary algorithms. So researchers can't look at them to even see if they're accurate. Well, what happened was a group of women tracked their cycles. And when their periods happened at different times when the app predicted, they blamed themselves. They said, oh, well, my body must be broken. The app must be right. But actually, when researchers looked at their cycles, no, their cycles came in the normal expected range. It was the app that was incorrect. So the app can actually make you less in tune with your body. So if you're using an app for fertility awareness method, you want to use one that is not just based on the historical record of your cycles. You want to use one that also includes other biological variables like temperature or cervical mucus, and that's all explained in the book. If you are cycle tracking simply for the purpose of cycle tracking, I would position that that might not be telling you accurately when your next cycle is going to be due. And so, you know, if you're trying to plan things around it because, you know, maybe you have breast tenderness or, and you don't want to, you know, do your arm workouts at that certain time, you may not be getting accurate information and it may be teaching you less about your body. So, you know, is that something that you want to participate in? My name is Dr. Jen Gunter. My latest book is called Blood, The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.